0: Tonight, I kind of categorized a lot of this under the Old Testament, but there's a handful of different questions, so it'll probably take us a couple weeks to get through this one, um, especially because this is one I think we'll see a lot that we get from both Christians and non-Christians, right? A lot of times, uh, maybe even Christians more than non-Christians, um, but you know, a lot of places, we don't, we don't talk about the Old Testament nearly as much, if we talk about it at all, we don't talk about it nearly as much as we do the, the New obviously. Um, I have a couple introductory kind of points I wanted to point out to sort of make sure we're all on the same page, and then we'll throw out some kind of warm-up discussion questions, if you can call them that. I just wanted to say off the top that uh, the key to understanding the relationship between uh, the the Old and the New Law is uh, a big part of that is context. right? We talk about context all the time when we're reading the Bible. Well, a big part of the context of the Old Testament is that a majority of the Old Testament was given or intended for a very specific people at a specific time. It was intended for the people of Israel uh, at different times. And we'll get into, uh, not all at once, but it was for a specific time as in pre-Christ, really. All that we'd categorize before Christ, before the Messiah. Um, So it's all very timely and very specific to the people of Israel. Um, Especially when we talk about the law. Because um, you know, the Old Testament is more than just the law. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, there's laws that are intended to sort of uh, distinguish the Israelites from other people. That's what a lot of that boils down to. Um, so so first part is understanding context. And the second thing I, I want to just kind of clarify off the top is uh, something we will revisit at the end. But that when Jesus died on the cross, he put an end to the adherence to the, new, the Old Testament law. Um, and we'll get into exactly what that is. But um, Romans 10.4 talks about that. Galatians 3. Really through the whole chapter. But specifically verse 23-25. And we'll read more Galatians 3 as we start digging into this. Uh, but Ephesians 2.15. Those are all all verses that would uh, reinforce that idea. That when Jesus died on the cross. He put an end to the old law. Um, and so we'll look at. Well how are we still not under it if he came. You know I mean the. One of Jesus's more famous fairings on this is, you know, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Well, what does it mean to fulfill the law? we'll, we'll look into that too. Um, so, that's some more, more questions. But hopefully, it'll kind of softball us and get us going in the right direction. Uh, who knows how many books are in the Bible? A little DBS class. Sixty-six. Yes. Um, who knows how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. Yes. Yeah. So, and this is kind of a interesting just thing to think about from time to time. If you put your finger where the New Testament starts in your Bible and you look at it, you can tell just by the number of not just by the number of the books, thirty-nine to sixty-six from the Old Testament, but by volume, pretty good chunk of our Bible is the Old Testament. Um, so, I, I mean, I I'm not exact. But I'd say it's probably what two thirds to one third, probably there in terms of just pure page volume. So we'd say, what, twice as much of our Bible probably the Old Testament. So how often would we say we, and I'm kind of uh, calling myself here because I do a lot of the preaching, so how often do you guys hear, how often do we talk about the Old Testament? Relatively. I mean, how or how often maybe in your own study do you study the Old Testament? Would you say comparative to the New Testament? We said more or less are about the same. Most of us are probably, I would bet, less. You no, know, Maybe. Probably, I mean, it's probably pretty fair. So we spend more time... I know we spend more time in here talking about the New Testament, and that'll change. One of the series I want to do um, either on a Sunday class or on a Wednesday class is a, an Old Testament kind of stories of the Old Testament and just go through different major characters, you know. Um, but by and large, yeah, we talk about what do we hear talked about, what do we hear preached on, it's larger than the New Testament. So I think a lot of... Uh, <laughs> A lot of questions like this and ones like it are hard to answer because, well, we probably don't study the Old Testament as much as we do the New Testament. Um, anyone know what the, the major divisions, of the old, or what a division, one or all three, or a division of the Old Testament is? Can we kind of break it up into three or three or five, There's, you know, a couple different ways you could? What's a, I, bet, I bet everyone, if they thought about it, knows at least one. We usually think of the Old Testament when we think about the law, right? Mo- Moses and the law. First, I mean, first five books of the Bible, right? We've heard it called the, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So you got the, uh, typically you got the law, uh, books of history, and the wisdom books. Sometimes the wisdom, book, wisdom books are further broken down, major prophets, minor prophets, poetry. Um, so law, history, and history would be Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Um, I think that includes First and Second Chronicles as well, and then poetry. I mean, those are probably pretty easy, right? Psalms, (laughs) Songs of Solomon, those are the easy ones we think about, and the Major and Minor Prophets. Those are just really broken up by length. You know, if you look at Isaiah or Jeremiah, those are like those are some tomes right there. Isaiah is a thick book. Then if you get toward the end, books like Micah or Obadiah are like two pages. Like four, I think it was like four chapters in uh, Malachi, another one, minor prophets. So it's not necessarily that they're less important. They're literally just called minor prophets because they're a lot shorter than the major prophets. Um, so before we get into some of the questions and trying to think about things we don't know, uh, what, are, what are some things we do know about the Old Testament? That you, what are some things that you just know off the top of your head right now about the Old Testament? a great point. Yep. That's, uh, I've got it written down, but I think it's Galatians 3.24. Yeah, the law is our schoolmaster, written for our learning. Yep, that's definitely definitely a big one. Um, What about things that are in the Old Testament? All the prophecies of Christ, the Messiah. That's a a huge part of the reason we start looking at what it is and the purpose it serves. It's a big part of it. A little bit harder one. What's and we might try a few examples of this, but I won't wait for us to name all of them, but what is uh, one book of the Old Testament that you think you you know maybe what its purpose is? If we think of all of them, from like Genesis to Malachi, I don't remember the last book of the Old Testament, to be honest, I'd have to look, but from Genesis to Malachi, that's what I thought, what is one that you're like, okay, I I think I've got an idea of what the purpose of this book is? As we said, I mean, the Old Testament's made up of 39 books, and we'll look at, You know what the big picture purpose of it is, and we start asking why. What's like one book you could name that you say, okay, I think I know what the purpose of this book is? What about Job to keep our faith? Okay, that's a good one. That's definitely an example of keeping the faith, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) story of creation in Genesis, that's a good one. I mean, there's a, yeah. Genesis is actually probably one of the harder ones to say this is the purpose because if we, if we look at the stories we learn in V if I was to list all the stories I learned in VBS and I arranged them by like what book they're in, I've got about a, two dozen I can name in Genesis, one in Exodus that I can think of off the top of my head, and Daniel maybe, right? <laughs> if we think about just our, VBS, our typical top 10, top 25 VBS stories. What did you say? Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. And probably some from like Samuel, you know, David and Goliath, a lot of those. Um, but they're really scattered throughout. I mean, the, the, big, the big guns are all probably in Genesis, right? Jacob, Abraham, uh, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. At least those, those are the ones I think of always first as some of the ones in Genesis. That's why we haven't done a study on Genesis yet, because it would take us two years to get to about the first six chapters. <laughs> um, well, some... Uh, one of the other reasons I think that's kind of hard to answer, and, and what I'm kind of getting at is if when we start looking and we start asking, well, what's the purpose of the Old Testament? Well, something we gotta realize is when we say the Old Testament, we're talking about thirty-nine different books. Even if you even if you combine first and second chronicles and you combine first and second Samuel, you combine first and second Kings, that's still over thirty books. Different books. And not necessarily all of them. Some of them were probably written for similar reasons but almost all of them are written sometimes by different people, um, different times, and for different reasons. I mean, when we talked about it and mentioned earlier, just the, the divisions of it, well, one of the reasons we divide them that way is because the, the law, the books of history, and the books of wisdom are written for three different reasons. If you want to guess, one's probably about the law, one's probably about history, and one's just for our wisdom, right? Um, it's not to say that the others can't be for your wisdom, but if I was to go learn about history, I probably wouldn't flip open Psalms. I'm sure there's some elements I could dig out of there when David's talking about, you know, the people of Israel or Babylon or that. But if I wanted to really know the history of the Israelites, I'd go pick up Joshua and go pick up 1 Samuel. Um, so I just want us to think about that. When we start asking, well, what's, um, what's the point of the Old Testament? We start saying, what's the purpose of the Old Testament? Well, which part is <laughs> a lot. So there's a lot of different purposes um, There are some overarching Big picture purposes Like Cindy mentioned The prophecies of the Messiah Those are all throughout the Old Testament They all kind of contribute to that purpose um, But there are, there are even some books that say, that say why they're written Or why they're talking about a certain story There's parts of the law that says Hey, I'm, you know, we're, uh, where God tells us Write this down And write this down to tell the people Right, the sounds that people will do X, Y, Z. Um, so, so there are some parts that serve very specific purposes, and I just want us to kind of be thinking about that because um, the purpose of every book, even though there might be some things we could, like I said, draw from Genesis to Malachi, we could draw elements of the prophecy of Christ for certain. Um, if I was to say, you know, they all reveal a part of God, yeah, they all do that, absolutely. But if we want to look at why they were originally written, in terms of that very narrow view of what their purpose is, well, they, most of them were written for different reasons. Um, you could probably say Genesis through, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all kind of written to be given the law, you know. Um, there's parts of Genesis that you could debate whether or not to include that in the law exactly, but um, you know, the, the history books are written to give an account of the Israelites' history, where they are. If you and that's another one we we call history. But if I was to go ask about like the history of the world, I really wouldn't start at first Samuel because the Israelites make up like an area this big, <laughs> you know. I think someone said that uh, most of the era of the kings takes place in an area about the size of North Alabama. If you go from like the most southern part of Israel to the most northern part, and I mean we've all looked at a globe before hopefully and seen how big the entire Middle East is. If I drew a line from Egypt all the way to I think the, the Hittites, which is a big enemy, is like all the way up in almost Asia, almost Russia. So we're talking about an area about the size of North Alabama is where most of that takes place. So it's very specific, had a very specific purpose. I'm chasing rabbits, but the purposes of every book are different. Um, so first big question that I think, you know, any, if you're studying with someone, if they've never read the Bible before, if they've never really, really read the Bible, I think we've all probably heard somebody ask that, and we've probably all at our own point in time asked that, why do we have it? So what are, before we start looking at, uh, we're going to look at some scriptures, obviously, but what are, what are some reasons from your own, maybe studying, if you've tried to answer this before, what, what, what have you found as a reason we have the Old Testament? Or why do you feel like maybe we have the Old Testament? What value have you found in the Old Testament? So
1: you know, the first five uh, books,
0: true, so it's, we'd say it's a statement of God's will. That's, pretty, that's a pretty important reason, definitely. If we want to obey God's will, we've got to know His will. <laughs> so that's a great reason. What else? I mean, if nothing else, if I was to flip through this one, I think, because I really like singing. If I was to flip through this <laughs> songbook, I bet you I could find a part of Scripture that almost every single one of these songs relates to. <laughs> a whole lot of worship comes from the Old Testament. Not a lot of worship songs written about anything in the New Testament. <laughs> There's probably some that I'm not thinking of. I mean, any of them about Jesus, okay, yeah, those are probably technically the New Testament. But when we talk about uh, the words to the songs, a ton of those come from the Old Testament. So a lot of worship. Um, anything else? Well, about the of the of blood. Yeah. Okay? We at, so like evidences. Yeah. We, we might say we look at the old, a lot of the Old Testament, we see, like I, I can feel like I have an evidence of God because of this. Yeah, that's a big one. man, that's a boy, that'd be a whole class in and to itself, for sure, Christian evidences. Much smarter men than me, and much <laughs> written. Dr. great Barfield many books. He was Who? Dr. Barfield. Dr. Barfield. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of you would come to your congregations and do that and that I mean, when I would place exchange students in Lars Hill, he always makes sure they did Christian evidences mm. because he said even, you know, showing the parts of the ark and stuff were found and par you know, that most people say, Well we need a scientific belief. Well here's history proving that yeah. points were made. Yeah, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. I might have said that backwards, but uh yeah, evidence a God. That's a great, that's a big one. Well, that's a, there's a whole lot of that in there for sure. Okay. Well, let's look at uh, Galatians 3. Let's turn to Galatians 3. We're going to kind of jump around. Uh, but by and large, we will, we'll reference a lot of other scriptures. If you're taking notes, we'll definitely throw out a bunch of different ones. But a couple ones that we'll come back to a lot are uh, Galatians 3, uh, parts of Romans, like Romans 6, 7, and 8, and then Hebrews 10 we get to that today um, because thankfully uh, we're asking this now well people were asking it then you know when Jesus said I, if, when he's telling them he's bringing them new news when he died and rose they were like so what, what now so what do we do with all this stuff we have um, so they wrote a lot about uh, what do we do with the Old Testament so we look at Galatians 3 uh, we I will going to start reading in verse 21 and we're going to read from verse 21 to 24 Um, and we'll kind of break this one down there's a lot going on here but Galatians 3 21 is the law then contrary to the promises of God certainly not for if a law had been given that could give life then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Originally, I was going to read all this and then break it down. We're going to, I'm going to try to work this a little bit. So he says, If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So what's, what's he saying there? What's, what's something...
1: Wouldn't need Christ.
0: We wouldn't need Christ of what? Our like if we could be saved by the law, we wouldn't need Christ. Christ. Okay. He says, If a law had been given that could give life... Then, dot, dot, dot. So, what's he kind of assuming? Well, if I say, if a law could do this, then we wouldn't need XYZ. We're saying that a law can't do that. Right? If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be by the law. Verse 22 But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Boy, you could write about six sermons from that one verse. So we'll try to address the different phrases here. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. How does the Bible, or how does Scripture? Since I'll use his phrase, how does the Scripture imprison everything under sin? Because Scripture doesn't sin, right? The Scripture is not what sins. We sin. So how does the scripture imprison everything under sin? What does that even mean? There we go. That's a good one. Can I be speeding if there's no speed limit? Right? I'm not breaking the law if there's no law. (laughs) If sin is separation from God in order for me a very limited very relatively dumb when we are talking about God human in order for me to know I am separated from God which is sin we need the law at a bare minimum we need some kind of whether we want to call it the law of Genesis through Deuteronomy or we want to call it the law in this big picture sense for me to know I am sinning there has got to be some kind of rules if sin is breaking the rules there has got to be rules <laughs> right? It, and sin, in a theological sense, is separation from God, and we can we could talk in circles about what that means. But if we just kind of simplify it to breaking the rules, well, then we need rules in order for the in order to identify sin. So Paul talks about this a lot. That Scripture shows sin; it reveals sin. Um, I think at some point in Romans he says, uh, you know, those uh, who are under the law versus not under the law, and talks about how sin is different than that. So. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin. You know, I, think another, I guess I think of another phrase from Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we only know that because of the law. Um, when we start looking at uh, is it relevant, is it useful, what's the purpose? Um, a, a big kind of proposed purpose, because the Old Testament doesn't explicitly say this, but a big kind of suggested purpose is that the Old Testament shows us, we could never fulfill the whole law. Genesis through Malachi, I mean all under the kings, under the patriarchs, under uh, even David, you know, under Moses, all these revered figures, um, man could never uphold the whole law. If you study the Old Testament, it's kind of a character study of failures in a lot of ways. There's a lot of successes, um, there's a lot of failures. Man could never uphold the whole law. So when we start talking about the purpose of scripture because something to think about anytime Paul uses the word scripture and I don't want to start too much of a debate the New Testament is scripture but Paul didn't have Galatians yet right he was right he was writing the letter they didn't even have really the, the The gospels were just beginning to be written and sort of circulated they were if you've ever been to a church a big church that's got like to me they look like a thing you would hang on your door to put shoes in but sometimes they're all full of like tracts and pamphlets <laughs> Mark was like a pamphlet in in a church door that was kind of getting circulated around still. So when he's talking about Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament. Almost by and large, when he's talking about Scripture, when a Jew is talking about Scripture to another Jew, even after Christ, before really, I would say, about Revelation, by then, chronologically, they had a lot of what we would call the Bible. When Paul talks about Scripture, he's almost always talking about the Old Testament. Um, He said, "...it imprisoned everything under sin." So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Man. So the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So we start talking about the purpose of the Old Testament, or the purpose that Paul would call a huge part of his scripture. Um, It shows us that we, we, we sin. It shows us that we could not uphold the law. And so that promise of faith in Jesus Christ, which we would call almost a new law, right? We, we use those terms a lot. Old law, new law. Old covenant, new covenant. Um, I, I know I use those terms a lot. But really, it's almost misleading in a sense because Jesus... what he did was very not law-like. Does that make sense? When we, talk, when we compare like the giving of the law from God to Moses on Sinai, which is a huge starting point of the Old Testament, when you compare that to Jesus dying on the cross, these are not similar events. right? After Jesus died, God didn't come down and say, all right, the law 2.0. So we call it the old law and new law for the sake of... Uh, talking about it, but I want us to understand that it really, it is a new way of living, it is a new life, it is a new way of understanding God, but it's, it's more, it's more than that. Does that kind of make sense in any way? I don't know. Um, just know that these terms are probably not sufficient, I guess is what I would say. We call it that, but that's really probably not the most accurate way to talk about it. Um, I mean, even Jesus would say he came to fulfill the law. Everyone properly confused yet? Um, we we'll on to verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now before faith came. What does that mean? It's kind of a weird way of putting it, isn't it? Paul talking about, like, our individual faith? He's probably not saying before anybody had faith in God, right? That'd be kind of a weird way of putting it. But he'll say before faith came. Well, one thing we talk about sort of old and new law, one thing that they talk about, a lot, that this terminology Paul uses a lot is a law of faith. He talks about what Christ did. He talks about the law of Christ, the law, and he uses this phrase, the law of faith, a lot. Um, the law of grace is another phrase he uses. Um, he said, Before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Someone put that to me in not, Alabama English.
1: Not everyone has this faith.
0: True. You know, Christ teaching,
1: been around for all these years, people still don't have
0: faith. True. So he's obviously not talking about everybody's faith, right? Or we would say there's some people that before faith came, well, their faith still hasn't come. So, so what's he saying? Before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Well,
2: the Jews were the chosen people. It didn't True. whether you believed it or not. If you a Jew, oh, it
0: was a Jew. Okay. I think that's a really good way of putting it because when Paul uses these expressions, the law of Christ, the law of grace, the law of faith, he's not saying by only faith, but he's kind of saying faith compared to what we had before, or he's saying grace compared to what we had before, grace compared to no grace, (laughs) because if you were born born and lived under the old law, you were adherent to the sacrifices, to upholding that law, well now we have grace, When he says I'm saved by grace, he doesn't mean I'm only saved by grace. He means now I'm saved by grace. Before we couldn't be saved by grace. Now we can be. It's it's not so much a supposed to be some universal statement so much as almost a comparison. It's now we have grace. Well, now we can be saved by our faith. If you were not an Israelite under the old law, you could never be a person of God. Through, yeah, exactly. That's another way of it. through repentance. Well it's not that they didn't have repentance before, because they did, but now that repentance actually can be a part of a saving act for us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the the faith is really in contrast to the old law. That's why
1: we only that one time.
0: Yeah.
1: So got
0: okay, now I see what yes, I'm with you now. Um So it says, before faith came, before we were able to be saved by our faith. Because, yeah, if you think about the the Israelites and the people of God under that old law, if you were a a Hittite or a Canaanite, it didn't matter, at least according to them, it didn't matter how much you obeyed the law, how much you believed in God, how much you honored Yahweh. You were always considered kind of a lesser person. Um, It's actually... Yeah, you, were, you could never be a part of the people of God.
2: You
0: were right. I think in later sort of part of the later Israelite kingdom, the people started, and the priests started kind of treating them a little bit better. But especially early on, you talk about spiritual haves and have-nots. there was no, there was no spiritual middle class in Genesis. <laughs> you either were an Israelite or you were not. Well now, um, you know, downside. Well, if you're an Israelite now, too bad. You're still not saved. <laughs> but the upside for the rest of us, um, for those of us born a few thousand miles away from the Middle East, uh, we can still be saved, and we can still be saved through our faith. So before faith came, we were held captive under the law, and the law, is, the law is what bound them to that kind of saving power. The law is what told them either these people are saved, these people are not. So before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be Revealed. What do we think the coming faith is now? He's, he's used this word faith a couple times. What do y'all think he's talking about? It kind of sounds like he's talking about Jesus to me. Kind sounds like he's kind of talking about the Messiah. Um, a, a big part of the, Cindy mentioned a big part of the Old Testament is the prophecies of the Messiah. Well, the prophecies of the Messiah were not just things they threw out there to tell people they could tell the future. If you look at the Old Testament, a lot of prophecy comes during times of, of, darkness for the people of God. A lot of that prophecy is given to say it's going to be better, it's going to be different, it's going to be more perfect, it's going to be the kingdom of God will be among you, and they were like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> they said one day the temple's not going to be the temple; it's going to be the temple's going to be in you, and that blew their minds because they only knew the temple. Um, so, you know, Paul's kind of reference. He says that coming faith would be revealed. And of course, by Paul's time, it was. Um, but he he's talking about the past right now. Um, so, verse twenty-four is so what we've been kind of building to. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. What someone who doesn't have a ESV read three twenty-four for me, because I think there's a lot of different ways verse twenty-four is phrased. Our tutor, okay. What's a. I'm going to start writing these down, actually. What's someone else? Who else has got something that's not tutor or uh, guardian? No, sorry, Guy? Guy? Yeah. What is that? Just out curiosity, is that like American Standard? Huh, okay. No, I'm just curious. I, I think I read this in a couple, and I don't remember that one. Who, who else? What else we got? Guide, tutor, guardian. Now
2: that has come, on, we are no longer under the
0: supervision. Supervision, okay. I think one of them might have been Old King James, was schoolmaster. So that was another interesting one. Is that is that Old King James? Man, old school over there. Uh, I know people who a buddy of mine who goes to school with me, younger than I am. He said I learned to read. On a King James Bible, not a new King James, on a King James Bible. I was like, "Oh, son!" Imagine someone turn. (laughs) I just I pictured like three year old Carter showing up to the class and be like, "This man has taketh my backpack." (laughs) The teacher, I was like, "Can you imagine like a kid talking to King James? Not even not new King James and King James English." That was just funny to me. Um, That's cool though. Yeah, so we got tutor, guardian, guide, schoolmaster. So one of them we talk about, why do we have it? Well, what's the job of uh, those people who do those things? What are the jobs of schoolmasters and tutors and guides and guardians? What do they do? Teach. They teach. But what's interesting is at least when I think of tutor or guardian, um, a tutor is not your primary teacher. Someone who is a guardian, anytime I think of guardian, I think of school permission slip forms. I think of parent slash guardian, Um, not quite, um, I don't want to say that because it might might sound wrong, but it helps, but it's not the answer. Does that kind of make sense? A guide is helpful, but it's not going to get you there on its own. (laughs) A guardian is typically, at least in a legal sense, a guardian is someone who's acting in lieu of a parent. Um, if you were the guardian of someone, don't take that the wrong way. I know a lot of people who had great parents who were not their biological parents. I'm not trying to make a, a familial statement there. Just, but just, we speak in the legal sense of a guardian. It's typically someone acting as a parent. A tutor is someone who helps you in the subject, but they're not your actual teacher. Um, I don't know what a schoolmaster is. That makes me think about a principal. I, don't, I honestly don't know what that is. But... Um, so it's, it's helpful, but it's also not the answer. It's not the end-all be-all. Um, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So right there at, at 26, he kind of concludes what he's been talking about when he keeps saying through faith this whole time. He's talking about Christ. Um, and really, 26, Steve, goes back to what you were saying, that for in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God. Again, that's a comparative statement, you know, Before anyone could, or before, not just anyone could be a Son of God. well, now we all can be a Son of God through Christ Jesus. Um, and of course,, you know, we, if we were studying with somebody, would absolutely go right to verse 27, right? For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, put on Christ. Um, so a big part of why do we have the Old Testament? Uh, you know it's it 's helpful that that 's what all this stuff is still saying, you know, even if we don 't understand the purpose and we don 't really get maybe maybe we don 't fully understand theologically what this whole old law new law old covenant thing is going on here he 's still saying it 's helpful, which I mean we demonstrate that today, right when I was first started talking about this i talked about v b s right there's that 's probably to truth be told the the most i think most of it, I'll speak for myself, but that's probably the most any of us have... Stu- like the most of our studying on the Old Testament was probably done in VBS. But that's, that right there proves that, at least to some extent, people in our lives have understood Galatians 3.24. So I said, well, I'm going to teach you right from wrong. I'm going to teach you not to kill your brother. Hopefully we didn't have to learn that one <laughs> too hard for us to pick up. <laughs> your brother... I don't see anyone whose brother's actually here, so I can't pick on him. I was going to pick on Brett. But, um, you know, it, so when we... They taught us stuff. When I think of David and Goliath, it taught us about faith. Daniel and the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Veggie tales. Anything you learn on veggie tales. For some reason, I just, a lot of those, I feel like I learned a lot more of the Old Testament, at least in that kind of stuff, than I did the New. I don't know why that is, but I don't know. Maybe just the the dying on the cross thing is probably a lot harder to put into veggie tales, I guess. I'm not sure, but um, it works. We're still doing that. We're still doing that. And that's, I think that's a great example of uh, how the reason, how this verse gets lived out in our lives. I think of those stories that we tell our kids. Um, and something that's really fascinating to me, at least about that, is if you go and you read all of, uh, not all of, but certain sections of like Joshua, Judges, or Exodus... There's a lot of interactions where God will tell Moses or God will tell the patriarch or God will tell whoever their priest is, hey, do this, and I'm telling you do this, so when your kids ask about this, you can tell them that this happened. I think that's really neat because thousands of years later, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. we say, hey, let's tell the story about Daniel and the lion's den. Let's tell the story about the, the parting of the Red Sea. Let's tell the story about the ten plagues so that we can have faith in God, so you can teach your kid this is the kind of stuff God did. And we talk about the purpose. Let's well, that's the kind of stuff he tells us is the purpose, right there. Um, we'll shift gears a little bit, and we'll uh, let's go to Matthew five, because I, I do want to unpack a little bit of this, because I, at least I think personally, um, Matthew five seventeen, if we're going to live up to our name of asking tough questions, I feel like we pretty much have to talk about Matthew five seventeen. Someone read for for in Matthew five seventeen and eighteen. Matthew chapter five verse seventeen and eighteen.
2: Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For certainly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled.
0: So we just spent all this time talking about how we're not under the law. So, what on earth does this mean? How many of you guys have got to this verse in some kind of study of somebody and been like, I do not have, and had to ask that question?
1: Jesus, he lived on the Old Testament
0: law. True, yeah. All of that's, yeah. They definitely lived under the law.
1: If he comes to fulfill what God wanted him to uh, fulfill by being crucified on the cross, then we got new law.
0: The the, the well, that's what we were just saying. But he just said, I have not come to abolish the law.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, when you complete
0: it, you know, oh, okay. So that's or an interesting do. one. So You're he didn't...
1: Complete the law.
0: That's a good way of putting it. I mean, he does say fulfill. That's a good way of putting it. What are some... It, it
1: wasn't a perfect law. So he had
0: to... Okay. We'll look at... I had... had
1: to fill in the blanks.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll... uh. I had this kind of toward the end of it, but if we went back to Galatians 3, and we looked at verse 19, which was just above where we started reading, uh, the law was not intended to last forever. It was not perfect. If we read about the atonement system under the old law, um, I, I could never really be forgiven of my sins. If I, had, if I sinned, I had to make sacrifices, and I had to make that sacrifice you know, every Sabbath, and I had to do these routines every Sabbath for my sins. Um, The law was not perfect, nor was it ever intended to be perfect.
2: Well, and that's just like the head of the house gives sacrifices for everyone in the house. Mm. You weren't you weren't accountable for your own the the eldest man in the house was accountable for your actions.
0: Yeah, that was a big part of the old law as well.
2: That's you know we gotta understand too, it ain't like If something happens in Israel today,
1: we'll know about it in an hour. Mm -hmm. When
2: when all this law changing and all this was going on, it was just people traveling around mouth to mouth. There's a lot of folks didn't know Jesus died, I'm sure, the day he died. True. They had to get around, and it probably took a long time to get it around. A lot of people wondered why the the day went dark and all Mm. this stuff. They didn't have cell phones and Google
0: and television and all that. So this is one of the reasons, even though, and I, again, I, I use these expressions all the time. i talk about the old law, the new law, the old covenant, the new covenant. use that all the time. But this is one of the reasons I said what I said earlier, that I, I think we just got to be mindful that it, he didn't come and just sort of say, well, the, the, the year has ended, the old tax code is outdated, let's write a new one. Um, He fulfilled it. It was intended to last a certain period of time until certain promises, when we talk about purpose of it, when certain promises had been made, when those promises had been fulfilled, um, the law, it was time to move on from that law. Um, One of the reasons I really feel like, um, at least when I think about why this was so hard for me to understand growing up, is really because we probably don't study enough what uh, what all this was like for the Jews living at the time, which is perhaps ironically most Christians ever. If we look historically, most Christians, at least when the Bible was first being given, were Jews who were now under a whole new system. Like you say, it was no one. It didn't get broadcast to the whole world immediately, <laughs> straight into their pockets. Um, so that's, that complicates things. If you grew up under this old system, if you were Jewish and you were coming to Christ while he was alive, that's a very complicated thing. And so even though we still have all of what they had and we still keep this in our Bible, um, we may, you know, we talk about creation and we talk about the two plagues and we talk about Moses. But I think we don't always really teach a full complete understanding of the old law probably the way we should and I'm not here to like revamp or start writing curriculum for 5th graders or anything don't get me wrong but when I just think of a lot part of the reason I didn't understand why we have the Old Testament is really due to the fact that I had done a pretty poor job at that point in my life to study the Old Testament um, but when you think about it we study the New Testament. Well, the New Testament is about people who only had the Old Testament. <laughs> like the, that was all they had to go on. That and what they saw in front of their face. So, if you want to really understand what Paul's talking about in Galatians, well, it's probably good for you to kind of start having that same knowledge base that Paul had. Especially because not only most of his letters, there's a f- very few that are written to largely Gentile communities. And I don't remember them off the top of my head but a large majority of Paul's letters were actually written to largely Jewish communities. So when he, he's talking about concepts that he's like, hey, I know this, you know this, let's talk about it. Well, in the same way that if I walk into the last, let me show, if I walk into the last third of a movie and I start asking questions, A, I'm probably really annoying, right? <laughs> Nobody likes when somebody does that. But, but you're going to be confused. What do you got to do? Well, sit down sometime on your own. Go watch the first two-thirds of the movie. And then, then jump into the discussion about the, the, second, the last third of the movie, right? So I think sometimes, a certain, you know, if you're a new Christian and you're just starting to formulate your faith and your understanding of God, by all means, I always tell people start with Jesus. Because he was perfect in every way. And I think his ministry was as well. He, told, he, he had a great way of communicating that brought people to Christ. But as you start maturing in your faith and you want to really understand, well, what, is, what does Paul talk about when he means I'm saved by faith through the promise of Jesus Christ? Well, we'll go look up what he's talking about. When he's talking about the promise of Jesus Christ, there's a ton, believe it or not, there's a ton of promises of Jesus Christ before you get to Matthew. Um, so I, I don't want to get too preachy, for lack of a better word, but um, it's just important. That, I just want us to understand that even, even if you don't necessarily, because I'll be honest. One of the reasons we have not studied a lot of the Old Testament is because I have not studied a lot of the Old Testament. Um, and if I'm preparing something, I don't want to be teaching y'all something. out and know, trying to teach y'all something. I don't know anything about myself. But um, it's just important to know there's, there's more context than we're getting sometimes when we start talking about these complex issues. So um, that's how I think a lot of misunderstandings of concepts like faith and grace, You know that, that's where a lot of we would consider heresies come from. <laughs> A lot of false teachings come from a poor understanding of what those guys are talking about. Um, just, just Galatians 3, like we were reading in Galatians 3, 21-24, there's a lot of phrases Paul throws around in there that you could kind of clip out and run with, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff I could take out of context and be like, oh, let, let me try and understand what that means with no context at all. Well, you're not, you're not going to. Um, well, we answered why. Um, but that, that's... Believe it or not, we'll move through the last one pretty quickly because once we really understand why we have it, well, then we can, Then the answer of does it apply gets easier. Then the answer of well, is it relevant or useful? I mean, we kind of already answered this one, right? Of course. <laughs> if I can't call something a tutor, guardian, schoolmaster, and guide and then also say, oh, yeah, it's not relevant. Tutors cost money, last time I checked. <laughs> if you came home from getting math tutor and your mom said, hey, what did you, you learn? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Someone's getting in trouble either you were the tutor, right? <laughs> um, so, yes, it is useful. Um, relevant is a very good question, though, and we'll start to answer that next time in terms of how relevant is it, you know. And in that, we'll answer this. But we've all heard of the Ten Commandments. I think, I think the Ten Commandments is another example of one of those things that if you um, were to ask, like, the people who were writing the books in the Bible, what the most important thing, like, if you ask Moses what the most important thing he wrote about was, Moses would probably not say the Ten Commandments. And I'm not trying to like start a huge debate or anything, but he probably wouldn't say the Ten Commandments. But if you were to ask someone just off the street, what's the most important part of the Bible, a lot of people go back to the Ten Commandments. It's just one of those things that has a weird staying power for whatever reason. There's just things like this that when you get out, you know, that just sort of took hold in our culture. Maybe it was the movie Prince of Egypt, I don't know. But that was super popular when I was a kid, so a lot of times there's just weird stuff that we fixate on. But so next week we'll kind of talk about how relevant is it, and do we still obey the Ten Commandments? Um, and the answer might be, what do you guys think? Okay, I'll, let me throw out to you guys. We'll study it some more in depth next week, but do we still obey the Ten Commandments? What do you guys think? Cause it's a bit. I'll warn you, it's a bit of a trick question. What do you guys think? It is, oh, it's very much ingrained in our culture. That's right, and that's kind of. Yeah.
2: yeah,
0: if I pulled someone off the, if I pulled someone off the street, I bet you they could name at least three, right? Might know John 3.16 and do not murder. No, no. Um, so we'll, we'll talk more about how relevant is it and do we obey the 10 commandments next week. Um,